welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high achieving, goal oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 252, Parenting and People-Pleasing. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I feel like I'm talking a little bit quieter today. (laughs) It's a teacher work day and my two oldest children are home and they're upstairs. I'm downstairs in my office with the door locked, but you know, they might be able to hear me and I don't want them to. (laughs) So I am using a quieter voice to record this podcast. And so I hope that it comes through for you. So this week's episode is about parenting and people pleasing, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit of a shift that I've had in my own life, which I feel like is a big deal. (laughs) And when I verbalize this to some of my friends who also have kids or are in the coaching world, it feels like very obvious when I'm explaining to you, but when you have a big shift or you get this really awesome piece of awareness about a problem that you have, so say it's drinking or say it's a relationship or something like that, right? And you've been struggling for a while and you're, you're disappointed and you're frustrated and you keep failing and you feel like you keep trying new things, but nothing sticks. And then you're not really giving up, but you're just like, like kind of getting exhausted with it. Right. And then there comes a point where you're like, you clearly see the problem. You clearly see what you've been doing and how it isn't working and how, um, you're going to stop doing that because like you've, 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 you're fed up (laughs) and then you see something differently that you hadn't seen before. And it opens up a whole nother, world for you. So this is kind of how I felt when I stopped drinking and well, really before I stopped drinking. So it was when I was on my long-term break. So for those of of you that don't know my history, I found life coaching and then I took a long break from alcohol and ended up being 90 days. That wasn't my goal, but ended up being 90 days. And in that first 30 days, I realized, Oh my God, I don't like, I don't need to drink to have fun. Like that's crazy. That that was a that was a mental construct and block that i had thought pretty much my whole life that drinking made you more fun or made experiences more fun and when i realized that i was like mind blown that that actually wasn't true and that i had more fun without drinking and traveling etc cetera, etc cetera. and um anyway it just like those kind of breakthroughs for me now because i'm 5 years in don't happen very often <laughs> and so this past week i had one with parenting. And just to give you some background, I have three children and my youngest has been struggling and we have a therapist for him and we also go to family therapy. So there's a lot of therapy happening. My husband also has a personal therapist and I have a personal therapist (laughs) along with my coaches. And so it's always like, it, it just feels like recently it's been a lot of deep emotional work and a lot of exploring feelings and 
um, trying to understand his behavior and backing up to see if he was feeling a certain way before something happened and how we can like coach him and guide him through noticing that, being aware of that and taking different actions. So it's been hard. And I also think he's having improvements, but anyway, um, part of our agenda as parents, and this isn't what was told to us to do. It's just been like kind of a response to some big events that happened at the end of the school year last year. So the end of the school year last year, we switched him to a different school and we, there was only like four or five weeks left in the school year. And he was having a really hard time at the other school. And we thought, um, we thought long and hard about it. He, we talked to his therapist, we talked to the whole school team about it. And we kind of all agreed that it might be good for him to have a fresh start and then just like not have a lot of seriousness at the end of the school year and just kind of like get his feet wet and then have the summer and then come back to the new school fresh in the fall. So we did that and it completely blew up in our faces and his, and he just did not know how to handle it. His emotions got really big. We ended up having him evaluated. And, uh, anyway, it's just highlighted all of the support that he actually did need, which was a good thing. I don't regret that decision. If we had kept him at the old school, you know, I think it would have lingered longer and we were just like making different accommodations and things, but like moving him to this new school really highlighted what we needed to do. And so that's what started our family therapy and all the things. So Anyway, we've been working at this for a while now, and um, because of what happened with Arlo at the end of the last of the school year, we kind of went into this school year with like, oh my gosh, we need to set him up for success. We need to make sure he's happy when he goes to school and that he comes in in a good mood, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this was so that he didn't get big emotional triggers and have breakdowns basically. So we wanted him to be happy and have a good, healthy breakfast and, you know, make things easy for him so that like he can show up to school as the best version of himself and then transition into the day easily. And I think that worked for a while and we needed to do that to help him transition for a while, but then it stopped working. <laughs> you know, we would wake him up and we would be like, Oh my gosh, good morning. It's time to start your day. What do you want for breakfast? Come on down and have some snuggles, which is all very nice on its own. But we were doing it from the place of like, first of all, love, of course, like we want him to be happy and we want him to feel love and all the things. And like a lot of the times we enjoy doing that, but it got to a point of like us kind of gripping on to this, like we need Arlo to be happy or in a good mood or to start his day off well in order for his day to go well so that our day goes well. <laughs> okay. And it just wasn't working. And so I had been feeling like the therapy was a lot, you know, it takes a lot of time out of our day. Um, I didn't feel like we we're making a lot more progress. And I just felt there was a lot of focus on protecting his feelings. And, you know, I'm all about helping my kids with their feelings. Obviously, that's a big part of the work that I do for you guys and teach my clients. It's like, we got to get comfortable with our feelings. But I felt like the sh the direction was off in this approach in that we were trying to prevent him from having feelings. And I that didn't really sit with me very well. I'm like, feelings aren't a problem. And 
you don't get to act like an asshole when you have big feelings, <laughs> you know? So I was already feeling a little frustrated, but one day last week, it was actually the day after Halloween. I woke, I woke him up and I was all sweet and everything, asking him what he wants for breakfast. And he comes downstairs and he puts on a coat that is not appropriate for 30 degree weather. And I said, Arlo, you, you know, you, that's not the right coat. And he said, I don't have a winter coat. And I said, yeah, you do. You wore it yesterday. And he said, it's too small. And I'm like, no, it's not. I saw you with it yesterday. He goes, well, I left it at school. And he just kind of snapped at me like that. And I'm like, well, you could have just told me that. And then he gives me the silent treatment. And then he has to pack his lunch because he's part of our work is that we're having him, you know, take a little bit more responsibility for things and to kind of grow up a little bit. And he was packing his lunch and the bread was frozen because he didn't get it out the night before and make his lunch that night. And so he was upset about that. So he just kept throwing shade at me and throughout the morning. And I'm like, here I am sitting here like a fool on demand, trying to make my kids eggs and get him off to a good start to his day. And I realized in that moment that that was not working anymore. You know, like it really felt, I was feeling resentful. I'm like, here I am doing all these things and you don't even, you know, you're being disrespectful. I didn't say any of this to him. This is just what's going on in my mind. Here you are being disrespectful to me. And that just was kind of like my cue, my internal cue that this has to change. And I knew that it had to change, but I didn't really know how I was just willing to keep exploring things and make some different shifts. And I've been working on having more boundaries with them and stuff. So anyway, that day I was just really thinking about it and exploring it. And like, what was I doing at 10 years old? And what was my biggest pain points at being 10? Or like, what did my parents do that really hurt me that I had to have therapy over? And I reflected back on being 10 and what I had to do was get myself up out of bed, make my own breakfast, take care of our dogs that lived outside, um, pack my lunch and get myself to the bus stop by 640 in the morning. And that stuff didn't bother me. Like that's not, that didn't cause me any emotional pain. <laughs> you know, like my pain from my childhood, it was about not being heard, um, being, a, you know, if I would complain about something that they did or I didn't think was right, it would be turned around that it was my fault, that kind of stuff. But it was nothing about chores or taking care of myself. And so when I saw that, it really became clear that, my job as a parent is to set my children up for success in adulthood. And it's not to protect their, their feelings, which has been, I feel like my unconscious main focus for the past few years, especially because of the pandemic and like, you know, integrating after the pandemic. And, you know, if you guys have young kids or even adult kids at this point, the pandemic really did a number on our kids, you know, and there's been a lot of higher anxiety and more depression and all these things that came out of uh, the pandemic for our children. So I feel like the focus for the past few years has been around all of the feelings and it hasn't been as a priority for them to take responsibility for themselves and to grow up to be functioning part of society. And so that day I really reclaimed 
what my role is as a parent. And it felt very, very good. And we actually rolled out to the whole family that everybody is getting an upgraded <laughs> responsibility and that everybody has to set their alarm, get themselves up, make their own breakfast, make their own lunch and get themselves to the bus stop without us standing around prompting them and nagging at them. And everybody got on board and our house has been so much more peaceful and, you know, we're, we're not all angsty and it has been really, really good. And there's a lot more story to this, but basically I've shifted a lot of our expectations of them. And, you know, when they come home from school, they are assigned a chore and they have to walk the dogs and they have to turn over their cell phones. Arlo, the youngest doesn't have a phone, but the older two do. Um, and it has brought out a lot more communication, a lot more hanging out together as a family, a lot more peace, a lot more cooperation, um, and engagement. And it's just night and day difference. And so I'm like, wow, this is pretty profound for me and how I feel about being a parent. And I think sometimes if you're doing this work on yourself as an adult and you're diving into your feelings and we're you know, we want to take care of ourselves and not put ourselves, you know, especially when you're cutting back on alcohol and you don't want to put yourself in, in too challenging with situations because, you know, you want to ease into new things and new opportunities without alcohol. But that's not really the same focus for kids. And I think sometimes we can get myself can be like, oh, I need to support their feelings and I'll give them space to express themselves. And all of that is still true. And this is very nuanced and case by case, obviously, but having the main focus for me, I'm saying for me, I'm not even telling you what you should be doing, but for me to shift into helping them take care of themselves, helping them learn responsibilities, helping them feel the feelings that come from feeling or forgetting their lunch so that they learn. That's literally how we learn is through making mistakes. And then we feel the discomfort of that. And then we readjust. <laughs> and for us as parents, I think, especially if we didn't have a lot of nurturing and things growing up and depending on your family of origin and what that was like for you, we can kind of swing to the opposite of trying to do it all for them because we didn't have it as kids. I certainly didn't have a nurturing, like your feelings are important household. <laughs> you know, my parents were heavy drinkers and control freaks and it was very rigid and they did not make accommodations for us at all. So I went to the opposite end of that. And now I'm kind of like getting back into the middle and I love that for our family. And it doesn't mean that again, like their feelings aren't important. It's just not the main focus on trying to protect their feelings. And that leads me into talking about people pleasing. And this is, you know, I was definitely trying to people please my kids. I just didn't see it. You know, I wanted them to be happy so that I could be happy. Like I was relying on knowing that they were doing okay so that I could feel at peace. So that's what people pleasing is. You want to make other people happy with you so that you can feel good right? It's kind of like there's an ulterior motive to people pleasers. It's not really about the other person. It's about you. <laughs> it's about us wanting to feel good about ourselves. And so when I saw that, what I was doing, I'm like, wow, I am really manipulating everybody in this household 
so that I can feel like I'm doing a good job as a parent, right? That I can feel relaxed or secure knowing that my kids' emotions and mental well-being is supported. And when I'm getting up and, you know, walking around eggshells around people's moods in the morning and standing like a short order cook at the, at the stove, all because I want to have them be, feel happy and supported when they walk out the door is manipulative. It's, you know, because you can't control how people feel. Obviously we do, we know this, right? We do all these things for people and we expect them to be appreciative and happy and grateful. And they are not, (laughs) it literally doesn't work. And then we feel resentful, right? And then like in the past, I would drink because I would feel that way. I would be like, why do I do all this stuff? And I would just get pissed off at myself and them that I was putting forth all this effort and they didn't appreciate it. Okay. That's people pleasing. And then it creates negative feelings for us. So people pleasing came at a cost for me. I was feeling emotional drained and burnt out as a parent for a while. And I don't feel like after this shift, I have got a renewed sense of energy and clarity and happiness and joy. And I'm just like, I am not, um, subscribing to people pleasing my kids anymore. Like if they don't like it, that's okay. You know, (laughs) I know what my role is. I know it's, it's very clear to me and people pleasing is hurting everybody in the house because then when I get upset because they don't react to the way that I think they should after what I've done, they get upset, right? So now I'm upset because they didn't react the way I think they should. And then they feel that, and then they get upset. Okay. It literally exerts so much more energy. And in the end, people are way more upset than they would have been if you just would have said no, or you can do that on your own, or I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. it's good for them to learn how to do things on their own, right? Let them experience that. And I know this is not going to be a success only journey. I know that there's going to be moments of frustration and all of it, right? But right now I can see a noticeable shift of stopping people pleasing with my kids. And if you don't have kids, think about doing this for people at work, right? Are you a people pleaser at work? Are you trying to please everybody so that they're happy with you so that you can feel good about yourself? If yes, what would it be like to start doing things because of what you need to be doing for your job? And if people get happy about that, that's great. And you become responsible for your own happiness right? I'm responsible for my own happiness. I'm responsible for my own sense of clarity and confidence and joy and freedom and relaxation, not my kids. Okay. And not your coworkers and not your parents and not your husbands and spouses and all those people. You're responsible for that. It's nice extra when it happens when they're like, I love you so much. You're the best mom in the whole world. I'll take it, but I'm not relying on them in their moods or their success at school for me to be happy anymore. And I feel really happy about that. (laughs) And so I just wanted to share that with you. And if you are over drinking, or if you came from a household of people that over drink, or you would consider alcoholics, or it was in your family, which it's in most families. I mean, it's, it's very, very prevalent in our society and you're a people pleaser. It could be because you're seeking to 
feel good and controlling things that you maybe weren't able to control when you were younger. And so just check in on that with yourself. Maybe, maybe do some journaling or ask yourself some of these questions, or if I just rubbed up on something for you, um, get curious about that and explore that a little bit more. And if you're inside a live AF, please get coaching on it. Ask questions in our Facebook group. Um, I'm here to support you and show you that I too am not perfect (laughs) and I'm always willing to see where I'm wrong and where I can adjust. And, um, yeah, that's what it's all about friends. So I love you all. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and you should join Alive AF and get your one time stop over drinking and start living support kit so you can have hands on tools to help you drink less and feel more alive. So the links for those are in the show notes and I will be back next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. I want you to check out angelamasonic.com forward slash alive AF. You know what it's like to have a desire to cut back on your drinking, right? You start to read books, listen to podcasts, try things, but you might not be able to yet put all the pieces and suggestions together in a way that actually makes sense and works for you. You might struggle with beating yourself up after an overdrink. You might get frustrated with yourself when you take two steps forward and then another two steps back and get overwhelmed with what's right and wrong about your relationship with alcohol. Your friends tell you that you should be able to have just one drink and it isn't a big deal. You might be white knuckling through urges and resisting instead of peacefully processing them. And you might struggle with your identity as someone who has enjoyed having a lot of wine or alcohol in your life. It's around you all the time. It's what you do and who you are. Well, after five years of successfully coaching hundreds of women through these struggles, I have created the Alive AF membership where women like you can learn the basics on what it takes to cut back and reach your goals with alcohol, whether it is to just drink less or totally quit. And when you join, you will get the exact framework I used to change my own relationship with alcohol and still use today that has led me to be alcohol free for over five years. You're going to get access to my resources, videos, and worksheets that have been proven to change and reduce how much you drink. Every day you can ask questions, share your obstacles, and get coaching and direct support on the challenges you will face with love and no judgment. Also, you will get immediate access to workshops like uncovering your alcohol identity and changing it, how to say no to things that don't support your new identity or life or goals, aka boundaries. (laughs) a workshop called Creating Emotional Agency, and another one, How to Manage Your Mind to Succeed at Your Goals and More. Every month we have a brand new workshop. These workshops are filled with step-by-step prompts and instruction to help you create the exact relationship with alcohol that is best for you. My mission and vision for Alive AF is to be a hub of support and resources for women to come and learn how to do what is best for them and becoming more alive in the process. When you join, you're going to learn how to take care of yourself better, how to feel good and become more alive and go after the life that you really want. I want this membership to be affordable and an easy solution where you can get all the help you need in one simple place whenever you need it. So no need to go read another book, find a new podcast, attend a free webinar, or go down the path of piecemealing it all together. Join Alive AF and have it all there in one place for you 
anytime you need it. So go to angelamasenic.com forward slash alive AF and enrollment is open right now. See you inside.